Welcome to the clay table where we talk about all things coffee and other random stuff. I'm Misat. I'm Ernest. And this is part two of our traceability and transparency podcast slash YouTube video. Yeah. So if you haven't already, please subscribe to our YouTube videos and hit that notification bell so that you can be the first to know when we upload our videos and give us a follow on SoundCloud. Please, and thank you. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay, so we kind of touched on traceability and transparency in the first part. And I don't know, do you want to maybe discuss like why this is important for us at least? Yeah, so I think um, the biggest thing, and I do recommend just watching part one first, um, for us it's important to, to understand this transparency of when it comes to traceability because of the earning power for the farming community um, in these countries. And um, the biggest thing is that coffee is grown in... I think it's like, I think 65% of the coffee is grown in poverty-driven countries. So if not more, I think not that more. number is higher. If not more, 100%. So, yeah. so the issue is that we know, and like we said in the episode before, the, the consumption of coffee has gone up 50%. But over the past decade. Over the yeah. past decade, but the farmers haven't been earning more money over that past decade either. So, I mean, just put that in perspective, since that time... Nobody has been earning more money growing coffee in these countries. And that's the issue. The issue that we're trying to kind of shine a light on here is that farmers in the countries where they grow coffee aren't earning a great salary at all or per kg price at all. And this is the problem. This is where we want to really emphasize on the importance of ensuring that the people that work so hard every year to produce this wonderful thing we drink every day that we survive on every day mm -hmm. because that's our actual business mm -hmm. are not earning any money and it's important that we start looking at this so the next generation wants to farm coffee mm -hmm. and wants to continue this incredible journey of procuring and growing this thing that we and majority of uh, the world is using as a, a, as a form of income, you know? Yeah, and, and it's, it's really interesting because when Ernest and I had started this journey five years ago, it was a process for us. We didn't know anything about roasting. We had to teach ourselves, basically. Yeah. Well, Ernest, I don't roast. <laughs> <laughs> um, and go through all the teething processes yes, of yeah. finding importers and then eventually working with the right importers that back your transparency agenda and are transparent themselves and give you free and open access to their resources and supply chain and yeah. then eventually um, uh, being connected with farmers on the ground and knowing them by name and understanding their context, their needs, uh, what they envision for themselves, their future, their, yeah. uh, the next generations to, um, you know, take over the farming practices and all of that. And the, the thing is that it, it is a process, it is challenging, it is tough, but I hope what we are doing shows 
that it still is doable. I think that is the key Correct, message yeah. here. Yeah. That yes, there is the easy route. You can just ask your coffee importer for their price list and you can pick any given coffee on that list and it'll be delivered to your door. Sure, that's the easy route. Um, but I encourage roasters and any other stakeholder who is involved in the coffee supply chain to dive a bit deeper and explore alternative ways of procuring coffee that is more sustainable, that is more humanitarian, that Correct, is yeah. more beneficial for the long term. Because in the short term, in the short term, sure, you can buy cheap commodity coffee, put, set your margins to, uh, you know, what your competitors are are at, and make a decent profit, and then you know that's the end of it. Yeah. Or you can try and leave. A legacy or leave this earth in a better place than you found it by trying to positive, positively impact the supply chain, yeah. contribute positively, or, I mean, and, and that degree varies, you know, we obviously can't change the entire coffee supply chain in the entire world. We would love to, we know, yeah. <laughs> we know our limitations. Yeah. Um, and it takes involvement from a lot of people, even customers. Um, if you listen to, to this podcast from purely a customer perspective, somebody who, who purely enjoys drinking coffee, you have the power to choose where you spend your money. That's it, yeah. That is so powerful. You can choose which coffee supplier or provider you support where your money goes and the ripple effect thereof. Yeah. It doesn't end at the roaster or at the cafe. No. It actually really all depends on who's buying the coffee yeah. as a consumable good. So really the power weighs more in the consumer's hands. You know? Yeah. And I think like you know it it, it is a bit of a challenge and and you know you know, we're not we're not one hundred percent there as a as an industry in South Africa to make it as accessible yet. But if we get our customers um, to start asking these questions, then um, then hopefully there will be demand for it from roasters to ask importers to get more transparent on their trade, yeah. to to source coffee that's a little bit more responsible. That's that has that like amazing ability of having dollar value attached to it to the farmer, not just on the trading floor. And I think like the first step uh, now and that people are trying to do is they're trying to just disclose the FOB price. So the price that the coffee was paid for when it left the country. And that's the first step. But the problem is we don't know in, within that spectrum who owns that coffee. So where does that FOB money go to? Does it go to individual? Does it go to the, to the government? Do the people after that price? Yeah, what are they paid? What are they getting paid? And that's, yeah. that's what we all need to kind of start pushing yeah. and asking it, for. It, for this kind of initiative to work, and it is working, as we mentioned in other um, podcasts, 
there are now just over 60 companies globally. We are just one company in yeah. South Africa, but there are 59 other companies globally that are on this same journey and disclose all their pricing and um, pay fair wages to farmers directly, which is different to fair trade. We will talk about that in a different uh, podcast. Um, so I know that this is happening globally, but Great. for it to have a much wider reach, we need to create a community of like-minded stakeholders. So that ranges from the farmer to the trader, to the exporter, to the importer, to the roaster, to the cafe owner, yeah. and then of course, the customer. That's it. And I came across this amazing term this morning. I couldn't believe it because, as I was saying earlier, this was something Ernest and I were kind of building on over the past five years. And I never really had the vernacular or language to explain this global movement. I, I actually I didn't study economics, neither yeah. did Ernest. No. This is all self-taught stuff that we be sharing and there are probably massive gaps in our knowledge where that we still fulfilling yeah. but i came across this article i actually haven't told you about this which i awesome. freaking love so there's this thing called stakeholder capitalism and I, i've never heard of that term and it sums yeah. up what we're talking about so clearly and I, yeah. i'm going to read it off here because i don't want to discredit the source um, that i got it from because i'm going to read it verbatim Cool. Um, but basically, stakeholder capitalism is a system in which corporations are orientated to serve the interests of all their stakeholders. Among the key stakeholders are customers, suppliers, employees, stakeholders, and local communities. <clears throat> Under the system, a company's purpose is to create long-term value and not to maximize profits and enhance shareholder value at the cost of other stakeholder groups. Supporters of stakeholder capitalism believe that serving the interests of all stakeholders, as opposed to only shareholders, is essential to the long-term success and health of any business. Notably, they make the case for stakeholder capitalism being a sensible business decision in addition to being an ethical choice. So I've tried to steer away from words like ethical and moral because of the time-sensitive situation and context that we're in right now. I don't yeah. think this is the right platform to necessarily promote morality or ethical um, discourse, although I personally believe it is more ethical. Um, there is at least a conversation in the economic sector that is noticing the yeah. importance of stakeholders as a collective yes. and not just the shareholders yeah. um, and acknowledging the fact that this is the way forward for a more sustainable and more profitable long-term business um, and more profitable in terms of all stakeholders, not just the shareholders. Yeah. 
and I think it's it's amazing. Yeah, no, it's great, and it's great that that if if it's not just focusing on coffee, but business in general, and that people are having this conversation now on that um, kind global, of global yeah, scale about yeah. all business practices, yeah. and exactly what you said before, um, uh, in the in the part one was that we're still trading all things in a very like we did a hundred years, years ago. Yeah. It's like nothing has changed. There's no, you know? there's no innovation within that yeah. trading space. And yeah. and innovation also in the basics of it as well. Yeah. I think like I think that's the thing. I think um, we've got so much uh, information now thrown at us thanks to the internet and research that's that's like literally available at our fingertips. There's so much more we know about the ingredients we buy, yeah. by the things we buy, but we still trade them as we don't know anything about I them. Know. So why aren't we doing better? This is the yes. thing. We have n- never in the history of time have we had more access to information. And what's more important than access to information is open source information. Yeah. We Never in the history of our time have we been in this position. And we'll only you know, become more open um, in in the future, yet we have based our business practices on old models and old systems that only served a particular um, demographic and social class um, and nothing has changed, you know, and it needs to change. And thank goodness for other industries and businesses. I know the textile industry is going through the same oh, yeah. thing right yeah. now. The sourcing of cotton and yeah. all of this, yeah. Yeah, and how cotton, in fact, is the worst thing happening environmentally yeah. than anything else. But I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> and yeah, it's crazy. I mean, every, people, the thing is, this is driven by, um, economics is driven by consumer trends. Yeah. You know, and as and as much as advertisers and stake or yeah, certain stakeholders like to push their own agenda and feel that they are manipulating or influencing customers, there's to a lot. You know, a lot of the time, customers are actually driving the market. That the market right. exactly. So as I mentioned earlier, customers have the power to decide how they want to spend their money, where their money goes, and it doesn't just rest with coffee, you know, it's with everything that you are purchasing. And what is that ripple effect? We can't wear blinkers. In today's age, we cannot operate as individuals, as businesses with blinkers on. You cannot. Yeah, no. And, And I think, like, this is where it comes comes important when as soon as you open your eyes you can see that the future of trade and specifically coffee and our thing is about making sure that everybody in the supply chain is happy mm. because if if we continue trading coffee as we are trading it now it means that and a good example was um, last year when Brazil started running out of coffee and coffee prices just spiked. Um, and now it's dropped again. Um, but the problem is now you're buying coffee on a price based off different circumstances. 
based off climate, the economy, uh, political statements, um, and uh, scarcity of a product. You're not buying it based off high quality. Yeah. So what's going to happen in the next couple of years? Coffee prices are going to start increasing, not because it's good quality, but because of uh, the scarcity of the product. Our camera just died. Our camera just died. Okay, so fuck it. <laughs> we're just going to carry on talking because our camera is now flat and I feel like we were on a good vibe and yeah. it goes well with traceability and transparency because this is real life, yo. Yeah. Things don't always work out. Oh, and we'll get it right. Yeah. I mean, gee Louise. For okay. sakes. But I think um, just to not kill what you were kind of saying earlier, when you said once we, you know, had opened our eyes, it, it makes me think of, you know, that phrase, once something has been seen, it can't be unseen. Correct, yeah. And once Ernest and I had discovered that, wait a minute, like, why can't we find out what farmers are getting paid? And why is there all this red tape? And we started investigating further. And when we had discovered these things, it was so difficult for us to continue running our business the way we were running it. I mean, we were always buying specialty coffee because um, we thought naturally that was more transparent. Um, we had, you know, documents that identified the regions and all of that, but we never had uh, transparency in terms of pricing yeah and that was a big thing for us and in fact we we put our business on hold until we found the yeah. coffee um, that ticked all the boxes and that 100% had to be transparent and traceable yeah. in addition to being a high-grade quality coffee and only then did we open our our store? And and I think like this was I think this was probably the the thing that really caught me was that you know we we didn't um, we didn't actually well I didn't actually know a couple of years ago that that FOB price doesn't always relate to the farmer. So we know when I was looking at trading prices of, of, of coffee, you know, on the coffee price index um, that's based in, the, in Europe and in the States, you know, I was like, okay, cool. So, you know, this coffee was traded for, you know, uh, at an average of two US dollars. You know, I was always in the impression, you know, a couple of years ago, under the yeah. impression that the farmer was like, getting that. But only after we started diving deeper and deeper and deeper, yeah. realizing that, you know, this was not actually the case because the farmer didn't have the resources, transport, packing facility, and running water, cell phone, yeah. electricity, to actually be the person trading the coffee to the yeah. buyer outside well, the country. Well, he's disempowered. And yeah. this, is this, uh, this is this topic of, you know, inequality and having a level playing field. Yeah. You know, when you disenfranchised from your own commodity you you stuck basically yeah. and you are left at the peril of those that have 
the power by way of the means and resources and of course money to set and demand prices yeah and i think like and this is why this you know the word transparency and traceability um you know people love to throw the word traceability around mm. but nobody actually knows because the rumor is well the story is told that oh we know everything about our farmers we yeah. know everything about where it comes from how it yeah. was grown which is great yeah but it doesn't necessarily mean that the people are happy well i mean i mean to make the yeah i mean happiness that's a different thing yeah. but like we want to make sure that they're not being extorted exactly that farmers yeah. are not being extorted i think that that is important yeah like we all love to like read the story about you know certain fitness brands i'll say that have you know sweatshops in china and kids working there and we are horrified by yeah. that you yeah. know but we don't think to question the agricultural sector yeah and you know what i think it is i think it's because people think people are outside and they don't have this visual of being in this sweatshop factory on yes. this assembly line yeah. you know they think of farming as something that's very organic and um almost a bit more liberal well, at least yeah. that's kind of like the image that yes. comes up in my mind you know yeah. obviously a lot of hard work and physical labor and that kind of thing but you you seem to view you know a sweatshop in china with kids you know making shoes and not getting paid more of um something to be concerned about as opposed to farmers of the equivalent you know uh, yes. the equivalent um uh stresses and um demands demands and uh yields that they need to produce and the pressures that come with that and uh, you know what they're getting paid yeah and i think that's 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 what we what we're trying to highlight is that you know that it's not just these tech companies that are exploiting people and these fashion brands that are exploiting is coffee and agriculture within um Africa and uh, Central America and Asia that are also being exploited you know yeah so how can we like not add to that and at all costs not be part of that agenda at all you know and for us it was to find a 100% transparent uh supplier yeah and 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 that's the first step and we we are hoping that uh, through this conversations that we having now um that you know importers and traders all over the world start asking these questions to the people they purchasing coffee from if it's not the individual farmers they're buying from to say like cool how much did you pay the farmer that you bought this coffee from that you selling to me mm. and hopefully those questions start being answered so we know that people aren't being exploited and i think as the consumer and the customer i think it's important just to start asking 
your local cafe, roastery, um, restaurant, yeah. these questions, where's your coffee from, you know? And the thing is, there are hard questions, there are challenging questions, there are uncomfortable questions. I know a lot of other roasters and coffee companies probably hate what we are doing. Yeah. And that's fine. Yeah. Because it isn't going to be easy. No. And I'm sure we will forever have a target on our back as well, because now... We can only purchase, I mean, we've limited ourselves yeah. completely. Like, we will only stand for 100% traceable coffee. But what if that day comes that we can't access that because yeah. of government red tape, because of yeah. importers uh, not willing to share that information? So, like, we are in the same boat yeah. as everyone else. We're just talking about it. Yeah. That's the only difference. Yeah, that's it. Cool, guys. Wow, I feel like dehydrated. I need yeah. more coffee. <laughs> Shame. I'm so sorry the camera broke. This yeah. is so annoying. Well, it didn't break. The battery just went black. The battery just died. We need like a whole film crew. If anyone wants to sponsor filming, please hit us up. Yeah. We'll yeah pay you in copious amounts of coffee. Yeah, that's a good trade-off, eh? <laughs> yeah, cool. Thanks so much, guys, for tuning in. Um, follow, subscribe, hit that notification bell, and we'll see you on the flip side. Cool. Cheers, cool. guys. Bye. Bye.